Hello and welcome to the Innovation Forum podcast for Friday 16th of April with me, Ian Welsh. A few days ago, I spoke with Jim Gowran, Electrical Vehicle Ecosystem Manager for Commercial Vehicles at Ford. We talked about the growing electrification of corporate fleets and particularly the clear business case for the next generation of electric commercial vehicles as companies strive to eliminate emissions from their own operations and work with suppliers to do the same. It's an exciting sector for sure. Also to come is an update about Innovation Forum's Climate Impact Conference coming up in May. Firstly though, here's some sustainable business news. Climate change and the response of business and government continues to dominate the news agenda. The decision taken earlier in the year by the new Biden administration for the US to recommit to the Paris Agreement has been welcomed by a group of over 300 American company CEOs from the likes of Unilever, Danone, Microsoft and Walmart. Acting via the We Mean Business Coalition, the corporate leaders also welcomed the climate bill that includes a 2050 net zero commitment for the US and also aiming to create 10 million clean energy jobs. They also call for a credible roadmap to get to net zero with binding targets for 2030 to help deliver that. There does seem to be a desire from big business for the US to establish leadership on tackling climate change and to inspire other policymakers to set similarly stretching goals. Other governments are making moves too. New Zealand will become the first country to introduce a law mandating the finance sector, including banks, insurers and investment managers, to report climate change impacts on their business. Institutions with more than 1 billion New Zealand dollars, which is around 700 million US, in assets or assets under management, will have to report, as will companies issuing equity or debt that are listed on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. In total, 200 or so companies will have to make the new disclosures. The country's Minister for Climate Change, James Shaw, said that getting to net zero would be impossible if the finance sector did not know the impact of their investments on the climate. Linked to the climate crisis has been a worrying, accelerating decline in intact ecosystems. Lack of biodiversity, of course, has significant potential impact on the food we eat and the availability of clean water and air. A new study from the Key Biodiversity Areas Secretariat in Cambridge, published in the Frontiers in Forests and Global Change journal, says that as little as 3% of land has a healthy population of native animals and intact habitat. These are mainly in northern forests and tundra and in pockets of the Amazon and Congo tropical forests. Invasive species are identified as a major problem, mainly introduced by humans of course, with Australia having no intact areas left, for example, thanks to rats, cats and other disruptive species. The research proposes the reintroduction of species that are vital to increasing and maintaining biodiversity, such as elephants, that can spread seeds and create clearings in forest. Predators can control other species, such as deer, which can have damagingly high population levels if left unchecked. In all, five species are recommended for reintroduction, which could, the research says, increase to 20% the areas with healthy populations and habitat. Sports brand Nike is planning to pilot an interesting new scheme to refurbish unwanted footwear across 15 stores in the US by the end of April. Sneakers returned within 60 days of purchase would be eligible for repair and cleaning and then resold at discounted prices. Only gently worn or slightly imperfect shoes would qualify. Nike says it plans to roll the Nike refurbished program out in US stores through the rest of 2021 and explore the possibility of expansion into other markets. This week I caught up with Innovation Forum's Natasha Bonner to find out the latest news about the Future of Climate Action Conference coming up in May. How's the event shaping up at the moment, Natasha? Really well, thanks. We've had some great speakers join the last few weeks and a couple of agenda updates too. Excellent. So what should attendees expect? 
Again, just to remind people, the event is a climate event, which will specifically be looking at scope three supply chain challenges with an emphasis on scope three target setting for business, engaging suppliers in the supply chain, and of course, solutions. What new additions to the agenda then have you had recently in terms of sessions or speakers? In terms of sessions, a good example of one that we've just had is we're going to have a case study on specific Red Plus programs with Everland, which will be looking at why Red Plus is a credible option for offsetting. And that will be led by Angela Foster Rice with Everland. Okay. Anything else? So we've also had a lot of speakers join in the last few weeks as well. So we're going to have Scott Fitters with Nike, who's going to be joining on the cross-sector insight session, which will be looking at how brands have established their scope three targets. And he'll be speaking alongside Unilever and Nestle. We've also got Ben Farger with Cargill, who is going to speak on regenerative agriculture alongside Morrison's. Michael Height is a VP of procurement at Bayer, who will be joining our session looking at climate coalitions. And he'll be speaking alongside Takeda Pharmaceutical and Nando's. And one final example, actually, is Constance Shalshat, who is with BMP Paribas, and she'll be joining our finance session, which is looking at financing options and how they're evolving to drive down scope three emissions. And also in that session is Tesco and Federated Hermes. Lots of interesting sessions for sure. So what are you hoping in terms of overall outcomes from the event? I think for me, the main purpose of the forum is for individuals to be able to walk away with an understanding of what net zero really means for their company supply chains. And from that, some practical and realistic solutions for them to be able to put into action um, to achieve some scalable results. Of course, beyond that, and in part with that, is also the importance of collaborating. So meeting people, even though this is a virtual platform, as you mentioned, it is a really great platform. Um, And as with all of our events, networking and discussion is a huge priority for us. So we're hoping to see some great connections being made and maybe even some collaborations formed. So yeah, please do check out the website. As I said, there's so many speakers who have joined. We have just under 50 speakers. So check out the websites to see. If you want to have a look at an attendee list, just send me a message and I can send one over or if you have any questions, do get in touch. Great. Thanks very much, Natasha. See you soon. And if you want to attend the conference from the 25th to 27th of May, then you can save £100 on 3D event passes if you register by Friday 23rd of April. I do hope you can join us. I recently spoke with Jim Gorin, who leads in the electric vehicle ecosystem team for commercial vehicles at Ford, to find out more about the potential opportunities for business to electrify their fleets and the drivers for companies to do so as more and more net zero targets are set. We're going to be talking a little bit about the electrification of transportation in the US more broadly. So Jim, what's the market share of electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids in the US at the moment and how does that compare with the rest of the world? So overall, electric vehicle market share remains relatively low, but the the share is actually growing at a high rate. So according to IHS market, all electric vehicles reached a record market share of 1.8% in 2020 in the US, which was nearly 300,000 vehicles. And when you look at the month of December 2020 specifically, the share was 2.5%, and that's more than triple the share three years ago. However, the largest growth globally in 2020 came from Europe, actually. Market share reached 6.2%, which was up 142% year over year. This was due to a combination of attractive new models and supportive policy and incentives, which we can unpack in a bit. Uh, And Europe actually outpaced China in electric vehicle sales in 2020 for the first time since 2015. 
uh, market share in China was about 5.5%. So in total, and in, in absolute terms, about 3.2 million plug-in vehicles were sold in 2020, up from 2.3 million in 2019. But that compares to around 65 million total vehicle sales globally. So while the absolute volumes remain relatively low, the overall growth story has been pretty incredible. And I see that only accelerating from here. So the numbers you've quoted, just to be clear, they are plug-in hybrids and all electric vehicles combined. Some of the numbers like the 1.8% market share in the US in 2020, that is specific to all electric vehicles. But the 3.2 million plug-in vehicles, that's inclusive of both plug-in hybrids and all electric. What are the differences in market penetration for commercial versus personal vehicles then? So in the US, penetration for commercial electric vehicles has remained low as well, even lower than for personal vehicles in some cases. A big reason for that has been just lack of supply. Uh, up until last year, if a commercial customer wanted an electric full-size truck or van, they would have to go through a custom upfitter for essentially one-off products. However, uh, that changed last year with an explosion of new announcements and plans for new electric models from established automakers and, and new startup companies. The reason is the market recognized that commercial customers are perfect early adopters of electric vehicle technology. And I'll lay out the reason for three main points here. So first, commercial customers only buy the capability they need. 300 plus mile range is not as important to the majority of customers. And we found that actually analyzing millions of miles of telematics data that our transit cargo van customers on average travel just 74 miles per day. And routes are typically much more predictable. So range anxiety is actually less of an issue for commercial customers. Second, commercial customers are hyper-focused on total cost of ownership. So we're finding that electric vehicles provide advantage here due to lower energy and, and maintenance costs. And finally, many commercial customers are setting ambitious carbon neutrality goals and sustainability goals due to pressure from their end customers, employees, governments, and investors. So electric vehicles combined with low carbon electricity for charging would be a key piece of meeting these goals. Therefore, due to these priorities and the imminent increase in electric truck advanced supply, we actually see market penetration for commercial accelerating quickly in the coming years. It strikes me that in part of the kind of blitz of net zero commitments that we're seeing from so many companies at the moment, you know, as part of that, there essentially is a widespread acceptance that going all electric is the route for land-based transportation. So what's the route map necessary to achieve that? And, and how does that compare with the reality at the moment? I see the route map involving four main components, and that is supply, charging, education, and good public policy to support unpacking each of those individually. First on, on supply, we need an increased portfolio of all electric vehicles to meet all customer use cases. So this includes models with longer range, increased payload and towing capability, which is increasingly and specifically of interest for commercial customers, as well as lower cost options. And this will be enabled in part by advancements in battery technology, both with increasing energy density of the batteries and increasing scale to bring down the cell costs. Material sourcing will also be crucial here. Uh, next on charging, we need to continue to build out infrastructure to support all customer use cases. 
So public charging networks actually get a lot of attention, but in reality, most charging takes place at home or at the workplace. So in the case of commercial customers, we estimate only 10% of charging would occur on public networks. So therefore we need to develop the right hardware and software solutions for customers to implement the charging solutions that work best for them. And utilities will need to ensure the grid is ready and able to support the increased electrical load through pricing signals and optimization. Uh, third on, on education, we need to inform customers, both commercial and retail customers alike, of the benefits of electric vehicles while simultaneously debunking the myths. And that is actually a key strategy we used for the launch of the Mustang Mach-E, which launched at the end of 2020. Uh, customers were concerned that they wouldn't be able to drive in the snow or that it wouldn't be safe to charge the vehicle in the rain. All of course were untrue. Uh, and what we found is that once someone drives an electric vehicle, their purchase intent rises significantly because they're just so fun to drive. So education is key. Finally, on policy, the right incentives need to be put into place to help drive early demand. And that can include tax credits, rebates, charging infrastructure, subsidies, et cetera. And, and we can unpack that further if you're interested. Can we talk a bit about supply of the materials necessary? I mean, there's a lot of news and there has been for some time about countries kind of hoarding or taking control of all the supply of the rare earth metals that are necessary for battery technology and other technologies. How much of the, is the supply of material a barrier to really rolling out electrification and transportation in the US and elsewhere? So the supply of materials is critical. What we're seeing is actually innovation in the space that could make the bottleneck there a little bit less. And so cobalt and nickel are two very important materials in battery cell technology. And for a long time, those materials have only been sourced in certain areas of the world, providing that bottleneck. However, new battery technology such as solid state and other types of cathode and anode technology is actually removing the need for large amounts of some of those materials. So as constraints happen, innovation occurs to leap over that, which is exciting news. Is the innovation the, the way forward then rather than an ongoing battle over the rare earth elements? Yes, innovation will be key here. There is a significant supply of those existing materials that are used in batteries. So luckily, we do have a, a long roadmap for acceleration on nickel and lithium and cobalt. But as we continue to expand and fully electrify our fleets globally, there'll need to be diversity in technology. And we're seeing that some emerge now. Let's talk about public policy then. So what progress in public policy are you seeing that's helping? What are the further changes that you think are necessary? Europe can actually be looked at as a, a good case study here on how supportive public policy can drive results in the market. So Europe deployed what I see as a one-two punch of regulations that drove increased supply of electric vehicles while also deploying incentives to increase demand. So on the supply side, automakers are required now to reach an average of below 95 grams of CO2 per kilometer. And this has resulted in a shift of vehicle portfolios from automakers to include more all-electric and hybrid vehicles in order to comply. However, the supply is only good if there's demand to balance that out. Uh, and this was achieved through a combination of incentives such as tax credits, rebates, and registration breaks. So for example, France offered an incentive of over $13,000 per electric vehicle to bring down the purchase price for consumers as part of a green recovery plan last year to rebound from the COVID-related downturn. 
another policy that we're seeing that has impacted commercial customers in particular is the zero emission zones in certain large European cities. And this has driven the transition to all electric and plug-in hybrid solutions that are able to comply. And what further changes do you want to see? So in terms of further changes, especially in the U.S., what we're seeing with the proposal from the Biden administration is increased incentives, especially at point of sale, as opposed to tax rebates would be interesting to bring down the purchase price the day of, as opposed to relying on tax appetite. And also regulations that provide one standard across the nation, whether that's more stringent fuel economy or emissions regulations or zero emission vehicle mandates, but ultimately that level of consistency would be preferred. I mean, in the UK, for example, if you have a plug-in hybrid or an all-electric car, you can drive that road tax-free, and there are still government incentives on the purchase price, you know, kind of a, a, a grant towards the, the cost of the vehicles, which, as you say, does make them then much more attractive price-wise. So let's think about the culture at Ford. The US auto sector perhaps has a reputation in the past, perhaps unfairly, of not welcoming or embracing change as rapidly as it might. So how has the culture at Ford been evolving to embrace electric vehicles and electrification and more generally in the US? So Jim Farley, who took over as our CEO in October, has brought a lot of energy to the company with a focus on really moving faster in everything we do. He's put in place a plan that we call Ford Plus, which is focused on disrupting ourselves, modernizing everywhere, and leading the electric revolution in areas of strength, which for us includes trucks, SUVs, and commercial vehicles. So there is a a real buzz of excitement building in the employee base and alignment with this plan. And it's being recognized by the capital markets as well, with Ford stock price nearly doubling in the past six months. Uh, And this focus on disrupting ourselves goes beyond just vehicles, but also includes new services that create an always-on relationship with our customers to help meet their needs throughout their electrification journey. And I think this evolution of moving faster and taking more risks also applies to the broader auto sector as well. We're seeing a lot of announcements and, and changes across traditional automakers, as well as a rush of new electric vehicle startups. So the market landscape is becoming more competitive, to which we say, game on, since we are here to compete like a challenger and leverage our over 118 years of of expertise and ingenuity. And how generally would you characterize the US auto sector and commercial vehicles in terms of embracing electrification? I think there's been a, a really great embrace of electrification. So a number of startups have come out of the woodwork to fill certain niches within the market, and they're progressing on their launch plans over the next few years. You know, Ford, we have a range of products and announcements that we have come out with and and some that will be coming out later this year, as as well as other traditional automakers in the U.S. really showing the embracing of of electrification, of sustainability with ambitious goals for sales targets and, and carbon neutrality. And all is very exciting. Looking forwards then, what are the products coming down the line that we should be looking out for? And what's exciting you about what's, what's next? So we do have an exciting portfolio of all electric vehicles launching over the next year. It actually first started with the Mustang Mach-E, which I mentioned began deliveries at the end of 2020. So we're very proud when it was named North America Utility of the Year, which I, I think speaks to the incredible work put in on the design and, and engineering of the vehicle to create an almost emotional experience when driving the SUV. 
that's been extremely well received by the market, spending on average only seven days on dealer lots before being purchased. So we see this vehicle as having a, a very bright future. Then back in November of 2020, we revealed our e-transit, which is an all-electric version of America's best-selling cargo van. And uh, that will begin deliveries at the end of this year. Uh, it'll actually be North America's first all-electric cargo van targeting all commercial vocations from delivery all the way to service and maintenance vocations. And finally, we have our all-electric F-150, which is uh, an electric version of America's best-selling pickup, which we will reveal in the coming months and begin deliveries by mid-next year. So this truck will be built for tough with all the reliability and dependability our customers have come to expect, and of course be available for both retail and commercial customers. So as you can see with these products, we are playing to our strengths. We're electrifying our iconic brands and scaling our electric vehicle offering to reach a wide array of customer use cases. And we couldn't be more excited and are, are truly focused on being leaders in this electric revolution. What's your sense of Ford as to when you know, you'll be selling more electric cars than petrol-based cars? And you know, the kind of rolling out of the full electrification of the sector. It's something that we're looking at. We definitely see the operation of mixed fleets of gas and electric for both commercial and retail customers for the now and the near. We think that's really a competitive advantage for us of being able to support our customers in their electrification journey across mixed fleets. But there will definitely become a point, some point in the future where electric vehicles overtake gas sales because of the benefits and because of the way the market is moving. Um, and we'll have to see where that tipping point comes. Well, it does certainly feel that the market is moving in one direction, one direction alone. But uh, uh, it's an exciting time, I guess, to be at Ford and to be in other autos are available and trucks as well. But thanks very much today, Jim Gorin from Ford. Thanks so much, Ian. Appreciate it. Don't forget to register now for the Future of Climate Action Conference in late May and save £100 on three-day event passes. And, as ever, look out at innovationforum.co.uk for all the usual audio interviews and insights. But that's all for now. I'm Benin Welsh and I'll be back next week. <laughs>